Well, good morning again. Glad that you're all here, or glad that you're all able to be here today on this day of celebration for Mother's Day. As we continue in with our series on the spiritual gifts, remembering that it's a little bit more topical by nature. Um, And as I start off, I kind of want to apologize uh, ahead of time, even as Steve prayed, I kind of chuckled as he said when we leave here in a few minutes. (laughs) Sorry. But you know, with all of these messages, uh, I hope that you understand I can't go into everything. You know, these are heavy topics and they're huge. You know, for instance, with faith last week, such a big topic, you can't hit all of the verses that deal with that. Um, Hebrews 11 was mentioned, but of course, Hebrews 11.1 gives a good definition for faith. As it says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. It's a great understanding for us. And you know, as you do word searches of faith in the Bible, you don't find a lot of definitions. It's all practical uses to where it's almost assumed that the reader would know what faith is means or what is meant when the author says that. So it does make it tough. But you know, one point I want to continue to bring up uh, to make sure that we're understanding as we're going through this series when it comes to the purpose of the gifts. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, you know, understanding these important verses where it says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The gifts are used for the common good of the body, to build it up in the most holy and excellent faith. Paraphrase of Jude, verse 20, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 12. You know, the gifts are not about exalting ourselves or lifting ourselves up, but instead they are to be used in love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Understanding how all of this um, flows together. So when we look So when we look at the different people that use the gifts in the Bible, we want to see how they're using the gift to glorify God, to build up the body. Um, And today we get into one of the more controversial gifts, the gift of healing. Notice, too, that it says the gift of healing, so as to not exalt ourselves in terms of the gift of the healer. The healer is Christ. It is the gift of healing where Christ is using us. We, we are bringing the healer into those situations. Now, as we start, I would love to be able to spend the first 15 minutes of this message and just have you write out your own views when it comes to healing. I would find that very fun because I, I would be interested to know how you understand this gift, how you understand healing in general. Um, but, you know, we enter into this controversial topic, not alone. There are many church leaders, many denominations today that have disagreements about this. I'm not even saying it's very controversial for us as a body. You know, I believe that for the most part, we still believe that God heals. But how does that happen today? That would be a point of contention or the issue that is to be discussed. You know, you have divergent opinions from Famous pastors, Piper and MacArthur, are on different sides of this issue. You know, we briefly talked about continuanism and cessationism before. Those who fall into different camps of belief when it comes to the gifts. 
Um, you know, for those that say that the gifts have ceased, they would be mainly referring to the gifts of healing, miracles, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. Those would be the main four that have ceased in that view. While they would look at prophecy as only preaching as prophecy, not predicting future events, they wouldn't consider that being valid for today. Some of the more extreme of that view would say that it would only be the apostles that had the, the gift of healing in order to verify the word of God, verify the gospel message. And again, that's kind of an extreme because even as we're going through 1 Corinthians 12, we can see how Paul is saying that this gift would seemingly be for ordinary church members, people within the church. So, and, and I would agree in terms of healing being done to confirm the word of God. Um, but again, sticking within our context, when we look at the gifts, we understand that it is to build up the body. So those that would receive this primarily would be people of faith, people that would believe. And again, as I start, just again, want to lay out where I'm coming from. I am more of a continuist, so I'd align with Piper and his thoughts on this subject more than MacArthur. Um, but I think it's another opportunity to say that both of these pastors are wonderful men of God um, who vary on different doctrines. So it's important to make two distinctions. First, camps are going to form no matter what denomination or the age. You know, you think of Calvin and Arminius, as much talk as they get. Really, they agreed on a lot of stuff. It's mainly those five tenets that they disagreed with. You think of the MacArthur's, the Sproul's, the Piper's, the, the famous pastors today. They don't all have the exact same way to view things. You know, even in the Bible, we see this being addressed in Acts 15. Um, Acts 15, 1, and then also 6 through 11. It says, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And then picking up in verse 6, the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by the mouth of the Gentiles, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, just as they will. So you had a circumcision and a non-circumcision camp in the early church. Um, and they had debates. They sought truth in the matter. They talked about it. You know, controversial subjects are there for a reason. The second distinction I want to make about that is that we have to base our decisions, our conclusions on the word of God. You know, controversial subjects can be easily move into a realm of subjective truth where, okay, that's what you're believing, that's fine for you. This is what I'm believing, it's fine for me. We'll just kind of go our separate ways. You know, we see this example in Acts 15 where the, the, the apostles, the leaders of the church, they got together, they debated these things. You know, when we have diverging interpretations, it's easy to move into that line of thinking. 
but we want to avoid this if we can because there is truth. And we are wrestling with the different scriptures all of the time as we dive deeper into the word of God, as we grow in our walk. Just because there's controversy, I don't think that we should avoid it. And this coming from the person that hates conflict. You know, um, you know, at the same time, I think that we shouldn't come down so hard on some of these issues to the point that we cause others to stumble. That being said today, I will share some of my personal views and experiences. Um, know that I don't have the most perfect answers. They're still being worked out by me. I still have plenty of questions. My view on this subject has changed drastically over the last four years because of what you experience. So let's open up with some prayer. Father, as we dive into this topic, Lord, we all, we all come to the table with our thoughts and with our beliefs already in mind. So I pray for softened hearts. I pray for humility. Lord, and I pray for your truth to continue to shine through. In your name I pray, amen. Okay, healing. It's gonna be fun. So many questions surround healing. Uh, just putting aside if it's good for today or not. I mean, that's a big topic to discuss. But there's so many other questions that people deal with. Like, what is it? What is it not? Why was I healed but this person not? Or vice versa? What constitutes or by what means constitutes this gift? Is it miraculous? Is it through doctors? Is it all of the above? Is there a pattern or their formula? What do laying on of hands mean? What about anointing with oil? What about confession? What role does faith play into this? All of these types of questions that we wrestle through throughout our walk, throughout our life, because it's what we experience, where these questions become pertinent based on what we face in this life. And I'm not going to answer all of these questions today. I might not even answer any of them. Because they are conversations a lot of times that need to be had between you and God and his word. Understanding some of the passages. I'll simply say, as I've said before, many theology, in with, with many theologies, I try to take a middle-of-the-road approach. Understanding scriptures from both sides. But as you face different experiences in your life where theology becomes not just an intellectual exercise, but you have to walk by faith, it changes your view on how you understand Scripture a little bit. Because life becomes real. You have this added desperation to try to find truth, to hold on to something, to figure it out, to try to continue to control your situations, whatever it might be. When you're faced with those moments, and faith needs to be how you walk, where it's not just an intellectual exercise, where it's not just a Sunday school answer, but instead you seemingly are grasping for straws to be on a firm foundation, and you can move very quickly into a healthy relationship or into error. So out this message, if nothing else that you hear, I want you to hear that healing is rooted in the word of God, and that's where we need to start. So we want to make sure that we're rooting our healing in God because he is our healer. 
And we talked about this last week with Peter in Acts chapter 3, how he healed the man that was at, in front of the beautiful gate. And he gave all of the credit to God. And why shouldn't he? You know, he was a Hebrew. He was a Jew. He understood the history. He understood Acts 15. Acts 15, which says, If you diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord, your healer. God names himself as the healer to Israel. So what does he heal? Variety of different things, variety of different passages that we can go to. I'm just going to walk through a few of them. In Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all of your iniquity, who heals all of your diseases. So we see that he heals diseases, used in the same format as forgiving all your sins. Do we treat these two teachings with the same weight? Psalm 147, verse 3, he heals the brokenhearted, he binds up their wounds. Hosea 6, verse 1, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live before him. A beautiful prophecy of the gospel message. And, you know, of course, all healing is rooted in the atonement, in the blood of Christ. Isaiah 53 and 1 Peter 2, 24. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds, we are healed. He is the healer. And we are healed in every sense of the word. Physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally. I think of Romans 12 and how the spirit is renewing our mind. A type of healing that will help us to see and understand his will. Healing is not just the physical infirmities in our bodies. Now, it's at this point that I want to be a little bit cautious because I think that we recognize that God heals in every sense of the word. We can affirm that. We also see in the Bible that there are times where people are not healed. So in our walks, many times, we are putting caveats and disclaimers onto healing. We make excuses either for or against healing in our life. We have cliches, we have platitudes, because this is a difficult topic to walk through. And we want to understand everything. We want to try to control everything. So I'll start with one of my caveats when dealing with this passage. Again, I understand if... I understand how all healing and everything comes from the power of God. I understand that ultimate healing is having a new body and being with him forever. I get all of that. But I don't think ultimate healing, I don't think death is what is talked about in 1 Corinthians 12 with the gift of healing. I kind of get the argument how this gift can be done by doctors today and how God can use doctors but I don't think that is exactly what it's talking about either. I think that is kind of an easy way out to understand this gift. For instance, let me test my theory with you. What is our stance on secular psychology? Do we want that to be in the church? 
Most of us would say no because it has very humanistic tendencies. However, if it's healing the mind of a person, how is that any different than a secular medical doctor who's patching us up and making us well and us attributing that to healing? See, I believe this gift is talking more about divine healing, supernatural healing that we cannot explain. Just one facet of healing, I understand that. But again, this is my take, and I wanted you to see where I'm coming from as I'm approaching this gift, my presuppositions, if you will. Now, if you recall, the missionaries, the Albright family, visit us in the fall. And Lori had mentioned how much of what they've been doing overseas is leading soul care ministries. Soul Care is a book that's written by Dr. Rob Reimer. He's an alliance pastor out of New York, and he does a lot of different conferences, um, and it deals with spiritual formation. And as you get more studied, even spiritual formation is kind of a scary term because it deals a little bit with psychology, or at least it seems to. But with Soul Care, what it does is it goes to the heart of the issues. It goes to the soul of the issues, to where as we grow up, we have different traumas, we have different hurts, we have different wounds that we haven't processed or dealt with. And it explores those to put Jesus into those moments so that we can receive healing. And she had talked about how this was such a big ministry over there. Many times people are suffering with demonic. Many times people are suffering with wounds that are traumatic. You know, when I was in seminary, you heard the stories of how people overseas were saying, stop sending us your seminarians as missionaries if they're not trained to deal with the demonic. Good thing it's just over there, right? Thank you for getting my sarcasm. Hopefully, as we go through this, we understand the importance of healing the whole person and what God wants from that. Personally, I haven't been trained with soul care. I've been trained in other formats dealing with the same, similar things. I've walked this road with people. I've gone through different um, casting out demon sessions, dealing with oppression. I've dealt with my own influences through seminary, through different points and times in my life. And you know, what I find interesting about the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 and even in Romans 12 is there is not a gift for casting out demons. You ever think about that? I think it would be pretty pertinent for us in today's day and age. But I think that there's a good reason why that is. In Acts 10, Peter is preaching to the Gentiles. And in the passage, he says this. He says, As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all of Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So two things. Notice that Jesus is anointed with the Holy Spirit and he is filled with power. Do we see any similarities to our own lives? And secondly, casting out demons is a form of healing. And when you think about it, it makes sense because, again, God is interested in healing the whole person, not just the cut on your arm or the diseases that you might have. 
God is our healer. But do we believe that God can heal? Let me rephrase that. Do we believe that God will heal? Do you see the difference in just changing that one word? This is where we tend to falter in our faith at many times in our life, again, as you walk this road. But do we persevere in our prayers and our faith? Not saying that prayers or faith are the healing agent, but do we persevere? One of the best, better teachings that I heard on this was either from A.B. Simpson or A.W. Tozer. It was when I was going through the ordination process and reading their books on healing. I can't remember which one. I can't find the exact quote, but I remember it vividly. They said, as you are praying, pray to know the will of God. Once you know the will of God, pray for that to manifest. You know, it avoided this danger, this error, where we're trying to will things with our own power, with our prayers, with our faith, and things like that, but instead aligning ourselves with what the Word of God says. And you know, you might be able to write something like that off. Well, how can we know what the will of God is in each specific instance? Do we believe that God heals all diseases? Is that what the Word of God says? Yeah, but let me use a different analogy. Do we believe that Jesus is coming back? We pray for it just about every week, don't we? Even though he hasn't come back yet, we still pray for it. Do we say, yeah, but? Is there hesitation in that prayer? Do you ever notice why your faith is different in some areas of your overall faith than others? Why some things are just easier to accept than others? You know, with healing, many, many times it's because we don't see the results that we're wanting, that we're hoping for. We don't see the answer that we're praying for. We don't realize that God can say no or wait. How many people weren't healed in the Bible, even by, the, by Paul, by Peter? We forget how my grace is sufficient. Maybe we don't like that answer, so we continue to pray. We stop believing. We give up. And with healing, as I said, the results can be seen. You can face immediate doubts as soon as you pray and nothing happens. Whereas with Jesus coming back, well, that's God's doing. He doesn't have to work for, through me to do that. But with healing, he works through us, his grace through us. And when it comes to divine healing, as I said, I don't think that it's the medicinal type of healing. I think that that definitely has a place, that it has a role, and God has gifted doctors and nurses even if they don't acknowledge him. I don't think that divine healing is a form of magic where if I can touch you, power imparts from me into you and zap, you're healed. I don't think that it's amount of prayers that I pray or having enough people to pray. I don't think that it's having enough faith. It is through the divine power of God and God alone. He is our healer. And when you even think about the term, the gift of healing, it is the charismata. It is the gift of grace, the grace of God. 
It is us imparting the grace of God into others' lives. And we see this all over the Bible. Just a few places through the book of Acts for us today. Acts 5. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared to join them. But the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Acts 28. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed and putting his hands on him, healed him. When this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. Acts 19, starting in verse 11. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over, who, over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them and overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord was extolled. Again, just a few of the examples Many times in churches today, even if we don't think that the gifts are for today, churches will at least have an understanding of James 5. James 5 um, is kind of easier to accept. As it says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord has raised him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So, I mean, this approach is, is biblical. Uh, many times, you'll find churches that just kind of go through the motions, thinking that they've done their part. We're okay with laying our hands on people, anointing people with oil, Confessing your sins, eh, maybe a little bit. As long as you're confessing yours, let me not confess mine. But you know, when we think about how we're doing this, how do we truly view healing? You know, many times we rarely come to the church for healing. I mean, we say that we believe and we believe that God heals, but do we live this out? How does healing really rank in our lives? 
So let's go through a scenario. Let's say you get sick, you have this ailment of something. What's your first inclination to do? Speaking from experience, if you're a guy, you do nothing. <laughs> Unless it's the man flu. If it's the man flu, look out. And ladies, I know that you deal with pregnancies, but it's nothing compared to the man flu. <laughs> My weak attempt at a Mother's Day joke. But you know, many times, we do nothing. It's not too bad. We can get over it. Then if we don't get over it, let's look on the internet. Let's go to the doctor, okay? Doctor doesn't have an answer. Okay, let's go see a specialist. Things get to be a little bit serious, a little bit desperate. All else fails, I guess I can come to God. I, can guess, I guess I can call the elders to be prayed for. And even when we do, it's a cautious faith. By that I mean, do we really believe that healing is for today? Or is it more of a belief of, if you can, Lord, that'd be great, but I don't want to impose on you. What vibe do we give off as a church? I mean, would people come here for healing? I think it's time for us to better understand this gift. And it needs to start in our own hearts and minds as we're wrestling with the scriptures. Because there are hurting people that need healing, that need Christ. Not just from your diseases, but through trauma. Through moments in life where we have written off God, where we have doubted his goodness. As we understand this gift better, we begin to go on our journeys that deepen our faith. But you know, we will only go so far on a journey. And then we get to that point where we say, okay, that's it. I can't believe beyond this. And that's okay. We do this in so many other areas besides healing. It's okay. You continue to wrestle. You continue to challenge yourself as you do it. You know, we use the analogy of how God is like the ocean and we're in the ocean a lot of times. So you can think about it with different topics, not just healing. Again, sometimes in some areas, maybe you're just kind of wading in the water. Maybe you're out in the water and you're treading on the water. But then something happens and you have to dive deeper. Maybe you're like five feet under the water. And then you know somebody that's 20 feet under the water. That's the joy of having a walk with the Lord, where you can go deeper, where you can continue to study these passages, and you can explore so much of him in your faith. And that is a challenge that I have for all of us, a desire to dig deeper. And I want to kind of take you through my journey, through that dive a little bit today. You know, through this journey, I've had to wrestle with many things, in the midst of all of that, I kept coming back to the same passage in Mark 9. If you want to turn over there for me. Um, I believe kind of Joel and I were wrestling through the statement around the same time, but maybe for different purposes. The statement that says, I believe, help my unbelief. But in Mark chapter 9, this is just after the transfiguration where Jesus is going to heal a boy with an unclean spirit. Beginning in verse 14, 
It says, and when they came... And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and scribes arguing with them. And immediately, all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed, and ran up to him, and greeted him, and asked him, and he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams, and grinds his teeth, and he becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately he convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if, I, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house with his disciples, asked him privately, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. You know, going through that passage... I think that it's easy to stumble on verse 23. Looking at verse 23, what does it mean? I mean, it's in red letters. It's said by Jesus, so it's got to be important, right? And depending on your translation, your punctuation could be a comma, a period, an exclamation point, or a question mark. And you know, immediately, we can begin to make excuses of why this doesn't mean what it says it means. Well, we go all inigo montoya in our faith. You keep using this word can, or you keep using this word believe. I don't think it means what you think it means. And honestly, it was wrestling through this passage that I experienced a lot of growth in my walk. Or I would pray, Lord, show me the areas where I'm not believing in you where I'm not trusting in your words. Show those to me. Expose those so that I can trust more in your word. Through tears, through control, through trying to understand all the whys, hows, what nows of our journey, I can look back and see God in many areas of the journey. I still have many questions, and God has definitely been patient with me as we go through this process. But there were many gifts that were used to bless us. But the gift of healing? You know, I've faced many attacks preparing for this message over the last six months. Attacks about inferiority, insecurity. How can you speak about healing when your wife died? 
just a minor attack. But today I want to share what I know from my experiences. Not because it's a formula, not because it's something to be emulated, but because I want to glorify God within it, with all of you. I want, to see, I want you to see where he was in all of this because Elaine was healed. And I'm not talking about the ultimate healing that she's got her new body and she's with Jesus. Again, that's not what this verse is talking about. You know, so many memories are vivid and hard. But really for Elaine and I to grow in our knowledge of this, it had to happen in the way that it did. 36-year-old woman, physically fit, working out four to five days a week, eating healthy, loving life, coming down with stage four stomach cancer. No signs, no causes, nothing. A form of cancer that has no cure. The best the doctors could give would be to manage the symptoms, but they were adamant she would not get better. When you hear that kind of diagnosis, you're not really thinking about theology. You're not thinking about faith. You're thinking about six weeks to six months, maybe, if you do nothing. And really, for much of the process, I was along for the ride. I was trying to be a rock of the family. Whereas Elaine, after the first week of shock, displayed such strong faith. She heard exactly what she needed to hear. There was no cure. The surgeon wrote us off in the beginning. He took one look at her, said he couldn't help her. She was too far gone. Which again, was awesome. Because we knew our only hope could come from God. We cut out hope from the doctors, putting our trust only in him. Now we still did chemo, and maybe that slowed some of the process in certain areas. Maybe we did it as a safety net. Again, I don't really know. I was kind of following Elaine's lead with all of that. And we prayed. We had prayer nights here. We had times of fasting here. Uh, we went to a healing ministry in Omaha and other churches where Elaine was prayed over for close to two hours. That was the night before chemo started. Me being the control freak, I was looking at my watch thinking, okay, we have to be up at 6 in the morning. It's now 11 o'clock at night. You need rest. Let's go. But it was a wonderful time, and we left believing that she was healed. This was early October. Some of the realities were already starting to set in. She had trouble eating, for instance. That night on the way home, Elaine said that she was hungry. We got some Burger King. She got a fish sandwich. And she ate the whole fish sandwich. Before that, maybe a quarter of it she would be able to eat. As we realized what actually happened, we praised God. 
We went to chemo that next day. We interacted with the doctors and the staff. And we praised God for each of them and their gifts that they had. And Elaine said, I understand that chemo isn't going to do much, but we're trusting in our healing coming from Christ. We're here to minister to you. That was in October. And remember, they said, we can't really help you. So they took it as a nice sentiment. Oh, it's sweet of you. Elaine had hard days, but you wouldn't know it. She kept on living life with that smile of hers, and she lost 30 pounds in a month. And she joked, it's the best diet plan I've ever been on. And then in November, she started to gain some of it back. We were still working out, and she was still praising God. The doctors could not believe that she had energy to eat, to gain weight, let alone to work out. Most of their patients with stomach cancer are bedridden. There were so many questions that they were asking about what she was doing. She kept pointing them to Jesus. By Christmas in early January, she had recovered her prior weight. The surgeon asked for a meeting with us. He was in disbelief, and he wanted to do the surgery right then and there. But at that time, we figured, she's healed. Why do we need a surgery? We were able to share the gospel message with him. He was more interested to know how faith impacts the healing process. Looking at it from a humanistic standpoint, but also from the standpoint that everything that he was trained to know was being defied, that it was impossible for her to be better. So he wanted to know more. By March, the scans showed just a very mild thickening on the stomach wall, where if she wasn't a cancer patient, they wouldn't say it was cancer, but rather maybe a slight form of gastritis. And you never say that you're healed from cancer, but we knew. The disease that they said she would not get better from, at best you can maintain where you're at currently, was nowhere to be found in the scans. We praised God. We stopped treatments. And it was at that point, we were still meeting with her doctor. And we found out that her doctor recently lost her mom on the operating table. So that next appointment, Elaine spent the entire time ministering to her doctor instead of the doctor helping her. At that point in the process, I was like, okay, I'll send you a bill for $1,500 and <laughs> we'll schedule another meeting in two weeks and we'll do it all again. But her doctor was in tears. Here was one of her patients ministering to her in such a strong way. We fully believe that she was healed. But you think about all of the people who are healed in the Bible. We don't hear what happens the next day. We don't know if they got sick again. We don't know if they crossed the road and got trampled by a herd of camels. Healing is a one-time thing. It doesn't mean that you're going to get sick again. It doesn't mean that you're not going to die. We're not promised tomorrow. The permanent healing does happen when we're called to be home with the Lord. 
and we all look forward to that. But in May, Mother's Day weekend, she went back in the hospital with jaundice. A new tumor had wrapped itself around the portal vein going to the liver. It was in a very nasty place. And this time, the disease affected her more like what they thought it would in September. Near the end, Elaine shared how the enemy had attacked her in May. How she thought she was healed, and then that would be the end of it. And when it came back, the enemy attacked hard with doubts, and it rocked her faith. But she said, I know God is good, and that you'll be okay. And even in her death, as untimely as we might think that it is, we continue to praise God. For the life lived, for the healing, and for the opportunity to be witnesses. I may not have all the answers or the articulation to describe exactly what happened and when. I just know that God healed her. And I know that he is a God who heals. And that was enough to bolster my faith. So I challenge each one of us to truly assess our thoughts on this gift. Like I said, many times we treat it as an intellectual exercise until something tragic happens. We need to identify the excuses that we make to not trust in the word of God and take it to the Lord. Because I pray and I wonder, would this be a church that people can come to to receive healing, to cast out demons? Would we be a church with a soul care ministry? I always pray that we can be open to be used however God wants us to be used or wants him to use us to affect our communities, to encourage one another, to show his grace so that through each other we can be built up through thick and thin to receive his healing in everything and in everything praise and glorify his name. Let's pray. Father, we have questions, we have doubts, we have concerns in our walks. And as we go through these times, Lord, I pray that we can take them to you because you are the source of truth. Lord, as we wrestle through different passages of Scripture, I pray that you would help us to understand our presuppositions, understand what we're bringing to the text, understand the truth in different matters. Help us to identify the excuses that we've made to try to better understand. And as we grow, Lord, that you would show us those times where we're only just waiting when we need to be diving deeper. Lord, I praise you that you are the God who heals. pray that I can never lose sight of that. 
And I pray that I would run to you first in all things, in all areas of faith, because my faith is in you and in you alone. I'm grateful for how you have used each one of us to encourage, to build each other up. I'm thankful for the testimonies that we have so that we can bolster, bolster our faith in you. Father, I praise you for the grace that you have given each one of us. May we never think lightly of it or take it for granted. And Father, in all things, may you be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.